everybody, it's the Orlando Lakers podcast. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky coming to you after Game 2. Andy, a much, much better Game 2 uh, for the Lakers as opposed to what we saw in Game 1. Lakers win 111-88. to Series all knotted at one. Podcast, of course, as always, brought to you by the folks at Delicious Pizza. Um, two locations, West Adams and Hollywood. 20% off if you tell them. Cam Brothers sent you, uh, deliciouspizza.com, or when you go pick it up in person and put in your order there. Andy, um, like from the beginning, this game looked drastically different than Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, the, the Lakers had the same uh, energy that we saw in the, the second through fourth quarters in game one, where unfortunately they just sort of fallen too far behind and, and they were clawing their way through it. They brought that from the from the opening tip of this game and started building up a lead. They closed uh, the first quarter up by eight. But also, too, Anthony Davis, just the way he was playing over the course of this game was a night and day difference. He, he had, um, I believe it was look at, uh, 16 points, I think, in the, in the first quarter. He had, he had 21. Something like that. I, I he had 21 in the first. Yeah, I stopped, he's 21 in the first half. I kind of stopped writing stuff down. Like, you're taking notes and you're doing all these things, following along, and I want to make sure I can break all these numbers down. And by, like, the middle of the third quarter, it's like, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. Like, <laughs> they're up by 30. Right, but I'm talking about the actual <laughs> right, the, the first sorry, quarter. First quarter, 11, I think it was – 11 in the first – he had 11 in the first – I'm looking at it right now. 11 in the first quarter, 21 in the first half. Finished the game with 31 points, 11 rebounds, three assists, and – plus 32 on the game. And Anthony Davis really was the difference for the Lakers in this, just the way he was able to control this game on both sides of the floor and really answering what people were saying, including Correct. you and I. Exactly. Including you and I. Like, it's funny, Brian. I remember we were talking after game one, and, and you said something interesting in that, you know, this is – this is the Pau Gasol chapter of Anthony Davis's career, like in terms of the expectations of playing for the Lakers and, you know, what we saw. Every, every, Powell, every, expect every play, ex- micro examined. Right, right. Except I was thinking about this, and I understand what you were saying, but in some ways you are actually wrong. And the reason is because Pau is not good enough for this example. Like in the sense that what was expected? Sure, of, I understand. What no, you mean. no, but I, but I, but I think it's important to drive this home. And, and I, I don't say this to correct you. I'm saying it's, it's important to drive drive this do. home. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I guess I am correcting, you, but that, that's <laughs> not sort of. That's it's kind of kind of what sure. you're doing. No, no. Yeah, my my point being that that isn't the point. I because I, I agreed with you in the moment, and then I thought about it more. Like how needed to be great. Um, in terms of the Lakers winning those back-to-back titles. And, you know, there was a lot expected from him. And you're correct that every win or loss was viewed through the prism of Powell because, you know, just that's the way things worked. You know, Kobe had that much right. in- institutional gravity. And that's, really what and I was, that's sort of what I was gravitas. Right. Except I was thinking about it. I'm like, you know, Anthony Davis, though, is the expectations as a consensus top five player – which Powell, as great as he was, never was considered. It's really Anthony Davis kind of 
the expectations of Kobe or LeBron. Like he he is expected. Sure. He's expected yeah. to be on that of level. Course. And, yeah, no, and that, but that, you're right. And again, like, what, I, what I'm talking about, what I'm talking sure. about isn't the qual. I don't expect Powell to play like AD or AD be better than Powell. That's not it. AD, damn well, better be better than Powell if this team's going to win uh, a title. It's just that it's that scrutiny that comes with, are you that guy? Um, are you that guy when it really matters? And, you know, after game one, there were so many questions because, you know, AD was – spectacular a couple of years ago against these Portland trailblazers when, when, when he was with the, uh, the Pelicans and, but still as a very, I think sort of un, at, the, at, at best unproven uh, and short postseason track record. Yeah. And so, you know, when he comes out on a team where, you know, all season long, it's been 80 and LeBron, 80 and LeBron, two of the five best players, you know, is LeBron, is 80 getting enough, uh, uh, love in terms of how you look at the the MVP voting all these other things and he comes out and he plays a you know a, a, a pretty you know an ordinary game we'll say it wasn't catastrophically bad but it wasn't good it wasn't Anthony Davis playing like a superstar and you start to like and so that's that thing it's like are you going to meet the bar that you're sort of expected to meet. And it's, you're that, right. It is a higher bar. That, that was the, what I was really getting at. Like he's truly expected to be a superstar. Absolutely. In, now. And also in proclaiming what he's going to be as the guy who yeah. takes that torch. From right. It's all I'm talking about. Expect- yeah. And, and when yeah. he, when he, he's expected to be that guy, he need, and more than that, he needs to be that guy and he's going to be scrutinized as that guy in ways that you don't get when you're in New Orleans with no real expectation of winning and, you know, in ways that you don't get when you're in Memphis, you know, before Powell came to LA, like there are certain things where you just, it doesn't matter as much. Um, and so Davis tonight, uh, you know, to uh, Thursday night in game two, um, it was interesting. Like I, he said after the game, that he went back and, you know, he was obviously disappointed. He said he felt off balance, just wasn't in it, uh, you know, didn't get into a flow and, and all of that stuff. And the coaching staff said, you were, you know, you played fine. You know, you did, you know, the results weren't there. You missed shots and so on and so on. I asked him when you went back, when you went back and looked at what you saw in game one, what did you see that didn't, seem right that didn't sit well with you that wasn't what you were looking for and um he didn't mention a word of shots he didn't mention shot selection to me all he talked about was defense and he said he was he was slow with his rotations he was slow in help and all the he just didn't have the energy and the pop defensively tonight you know I, I i hate boiling things down sometimes to energy and effort because i think it can be a cop-out i think uh, you know, sometimes when you miss shots, it looks like you're not playing with energy, even when you are or trying. Uh, you know, teams often, Andy, try hard, and it's just not doing well. The first quarter of this game, Anthony Davis, the difference in the pace of Anthony Davis on both sides of the ball between game one and game two was it jumped off the screen. And so when he mentioned that after the game, like, defensively, I wasn't moving right, I wasn't aggressive, I wasn't uh, doing what I was supposed to do, and I fixed it for game two. And then you turn around, and he's got all those points and, and all the, the the statistical output 
early in this game, it's it's easy to see where that came from. Well, I mean, so I one one fuel of the other. I, I well, yeah, I think one definitely fuels the other, and you hear players talk all the time about how their defense can fuel offense, and you know, defense can create plays. I I can understand to some degree where Anthony Davis is coming from in terms of that assessment of game one, because and I remember you and I talked about this after game one. He got to the free throw line 17 times in game one. So I can understand where Anthony Davis would look at his own game, whether you or I agree with him or not, and say, I was being aggressive in a, no, in a lot of parts of the game. He, like, he, was, he didn't think he played well. Right. It was no, everybody no, no. else who told him that he was okay. Right. Well, no, no, no. I, I'm not saying that he thought that he played well. I'm just talking about where he could look at his game on the offensive side and think that he was aggressive there, you know, and, and, and the first thing that would jump out at him was defensively. I, I, I could understand. Oh, I see what you where, mean. Yeah. I can understand where that would come from. Even, and I'm not trying to make like a point that Anthony Davis played like some sneaky good game in game one. He didn't. I'm just saying I can understand where that comes from. Cause like you look at game two, he only went to the line twice and, and he actually was driving a lot and not getting calls. And, and, and <laughs> They couldn't touch him. He was right. moving too quickly sure. and too aggressively for anybody to actually defend him in that way. But, you know, it's, it's just interesting how a lot of times the, the context of, of these games, you know, can be different from the eyes of, of and the perspective of the guys playing it versus us watching it. But either way, the energy that he had on both sides of the ball and his effectiveness, it, it obviously uh, you know, made a big impact on the game. I also felt, too, I don't want to say it was contagious because I don't know how any of these guys started out, but I thought it was very consistent among the, the other guys from the opening tip of this game. JaVale McGee was Absolutely. very, very, very active. Contavious Caldwell-Pope hit his first two shots from outside, and, and you know, he had that type of energy going. You know, Danny Green did not have a particularly good game. You know, he's still unable. Yeah, we'll, to get we'll talk shots about it. We'll, we'll get to Dan, we'll get to Danny Green here in a minute. But like, but, you yeah. know, but he had but he had four steals and he had activity. Like the, the the starting five in this game, their their rotations were extremely crisp to begin things. They were recovering well with each other. Their, their activity, all of that, they felt like a different team. Like you're watching this game, feeling like okay. I'm not predicting they're necessarily going to win, you know, by this type of margin, but they looked like a different team to start the game, which mattered a lot because they looked terrible to begin it in game one. Right. And what was interesting there, one of the things that was interesting is like you get to halftime and it's not like they were shooting the lights out from three point range, they're only 31% from, from three and a half which is better than 15 and a half, which is what they shot in game one. But it's not like you look at that and you go, whoa, the Lakers are just crushing it at three point. Like they were four of 13. Like, you know, they were neither hitting a ton of them nor even taking a ton of them, but they were over 50% from the floor. And more than that, they were hammering, just hammering Portland on the, uh, on the offensive glass. And so, you know, I, you could see it from the beginning. They got out, you know, to an early, you know, 16 to 8 leads, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, seeing KCP get the ball through the hoop and all that kind of stuff, like, it was pretty obvious after game one, like, they didn't need to be, if they play defense well again, they didn't need to be amazing offensively. They just had right. to not be terrible. Yeah, I remember we, uh, I tweeted it out uh, during, or we, I think I tweeted it out during the game and actually talked about it uh, 
in our podcast after game one. If they had been merely competent against well, Florida offensively. They game by 10. Right. They, they, they control the game. And right. we and saw tonight, we, we saw yeah, tonight right. what happened. I was going to say, we saw tonight what happened when they were, you know, even if they weren't shooting well, and they, you know, they still are, they still have an issue, the Lakers, with not being able to hit pretty open outside shots. Uh, their offense was, on balance, much more competent. Yeah. And they control the thing. And you, and you turn around and then, you know, Portland, I think some of the concern about Portland, if you're a Lakers fan, was well, they weren't so good offensively either. It's a very explosive offensive team that they, you know, the, the Lakers held them to 100 points. Tonight, um, they held them to 88. And, you know, the, the Blazers end up shooting 40% from the floor. They were only at 35% at the half. They were 20, you know, 20% the Portland was from three-point range. And, you know, so, so some of that an aberration, there's no question. But the you know that energy that the Lakers came out with, you know Portland didn't pass the fifty point mark until I think it was like five or six minutes left in the second quarter. And yeah, you know, I, I the first half was kind of disjointed. The, you know, they the fifty out. point you said? Yeah, Portland did not have fifty points until midway deep into the third quarter. Again, okay. Deep you, you, into the you, third quarter. Okay, you said second quarter. So I was like, no, oh, actually, no, no, it no. took longer. Deep, the third quarter. No, was, yeah. that second quarter is not nearly as impressive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they, did a, they, put, they did a number on a, a very good offensive team in, in, in the Blazers. Um, and despite the fact that, you know, it's kind of the rotation was a little wonky in the first half because while um, I think – Smartly, Frank Vogel kept the starting lineup the same. Uh, it's what I would have done. I think lineup changes can be very disruptive. I think it's much easier to tweak a rotation by you know bringing Kyle Kuzma a minute and a half earlier, uh, play you know uh, a little bit more Morris instead of a little bit more uh, Caruso with whatever, however you want to do it, um, a little less Dwight. You can you can figure that stuff out, but changing the starting lineup is a really drastic thing to do to your rotation. So, but Dwight had three files in the first half. Caruso had three files in the first half. So that changed up some of the things that, that Vogel had to do. And they still, Andy, and this was impressive to me, still came out at, at halftime with a 17 point lead. Um, yeah. Everything about this game was what you would need it to be. If you were a Laker, a Laker fan, a Laker coach, a Laker player, uh, anybody like is this was about as perfect as you could draw it up well no Say, I, mean, I, I mean let me rephrase there are things that could get better but in terms of getting a lead being active defensively, okay. yes. engaging in anthony that, davis i'm not saying they played a perfect game in that just, sense yes they got, if you go through the checklist of stuff that you needed to see happen in this game that are that are you know sort of big ticket items for them to to have a good night those are on it. Don't fall behind right. early in the first quarter. Don't give Portland energy, things like that. Yeah, there, there was no question. I mean, they, they, came, they, they came out looking like a much different team. And if they come out looking different, they're going to look better than Portland because they are better than Portland. And, I mean, it, it's AD funny. Used the, AD used the term desperate. But play well, like a desperate team. Which I mean, no problem with if, that. No, if they want to think of themselves as desperate, think of themselves as de- as long as desperation doesn't lead to, you know, the type of plays 
that get you in trouble. You know, sometimes you play desperate and that leads to doing things on the court that are, that are silly. Yeah, I took it to right. mean like a lack of complacency. Right, exactly, exactly. They, and, and that's fine. Don't Whatever. be shitty like we were in the first quarter in game one. Right. I think it's sort of how I took that. Yeah, absolutely. And then in the meantime, too, I mean, you start, you start seeing some of the issues that Portland is having, you know, that have, have been consistent in two games. Carmelo Anthony had two points in game two. He didn't do much in game one. And his offense, what we had seen in the bubble, hasn't been there so far. CJ McCollum has not done anything. Like he, nope. I was, I remember at, at the half, I was writing down some stats, and he he was, uh, I believe it was, he was three for three 11. eleven, three for Six eleven points. My reaction was, I don't remember him taking eleven shots. Like CJ McCollum, I barely remember playing in this game. He, like he's yeah. made no impact at all. And Yusef Nurkic was much more quiet. Um, there, it was a quiet. It was a. It was a quiet. It was it for the first time since getting to Orlando. Dame literally looked like right. a player. It was yeah. like a normal player. Exactly, and and the advantages that the Lakers have in this game, particularly defensively, you know, started coming through. And as long as their offense, you know, they, their offense, I think, needs to be better consistently the further they go through the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But their offense should only have to be so good to beat a Blazers team that can't guard anybody. Correct. I mean, I mean, the Lakers, had they made well, I mean, I think the hope, shot. Andy, wouldn't you agree, like, the hope is, like, you can kind of work your offense into shape against a team like Portland, um, you know, where, where, you know, two or three or, you know, four more games of this gives you an opportunity to kind of work out some of the problems that you're having um, because the, the Lakers shouldn't provide that much resistance they can still win that's not the point they can still beat they can still take games from the lakers but it's hard to picture portland winning you know two or three games two more games in the series you know hopefully for the lakers not three more because they just lock down LA. no i mean portland, that's not how it's going to happen portland has to outscore you i mean they have no choice other than trying to make it a shootout that they win because they're just not good enough defensively the Lakers have the advantage of being able to play. I mean, they played really good defense in the loss. If they, sure. if they're, you know, what if they're capable of defending Portland consistently? There's not really much the Blazers can do because right. they, they can't reciprocate. They're not capable yeah. of it. Um, and and which is why ultimately most people pick the Lakers. Except if you're not Charles Barkley, you pick the Lakers to win in five games, six games. I didn't see a lot of Lakers in seven. And again, if you're not Charles Barkley, I didn't see a lot of people picking Portland. Um, when, when you look ahead at this, there's always like, you know, this, this small sample size theater and the recency bias and all of these things that play in the playoff series in different ways in the regular season for obvious reasons. You are now dealing with small sample sizes. You know, weird, quirky stuff can happen. After game one, I think it was it – was legitimate concern about the offense because it was god awful and had been that way since they got to Orlando um they actually been struggling a bit before the season got uh, yes yeah, you're right they hit a hit a little bit of a lull there certainly with their outside shooting when when you kind of look at and, you know you don't want to be a prisoner of the moment in game 1 and you know when the next certainly the next morning when you kind of wake up and you think about it and how you know, more numbers start flowing in. I saw like ESPN stats and info 
said the Lakers missed more shots in transition than like any team in playoff history. Like it wasn't even like the stuff that they're normally good at. They were terrible at. So like everything was terrible and they still with two minutes left in the game had a chance to win the game. If some of those things get fixed, you figure game two will be better. Many of them were fixed. Portland got worse offensively. The Lakers got better defensively. When you look at this, though, not to be a prisoner of the moment in game one, not to be a prisoner of the moment in game two, what do you think tonight sort of means when you spin it forward for, what is it, Saturday? Saturday. Is game three, Saturday yeah. and Monday. Um, I'm still concerned about LeBron's inability to finish. And just what we're what Brown we're had not a very seeing. quiet night on uh, in game two. Yeah, very I, quiet. I mean, he was uh, ten points, six rebounds, seven assists, six turnovers. Six turnovers. Um, that was the, well, that's what stuck out. Right, and, and it was not a great game for LeBron. You know, he's obviously he didn't not, need to be. Didn't need, he didn't need to be. I mean, because they got enough guys chipping in, and just defensively, and LeBron's part of that effort. They just locked in on on uh, Portland and couldn't do anything about it. But, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before, Brian. I mean, I've been concerned about LeBron and that inability to finish throughout the bubble, you know, even some during the season. And I, I looked up some numbers, and, you know, this is very broad. Like, you have to start breaking down the different types of layups, stuff like that. And I recognize not all layups are created equally. But that being said – LeBron's last season with Cleveland, he was averaging around 68% from the field for, broadly speaking, layups. Mm -hmm. During his time as a Laker, he's averaging about 63% for, again, broadly speaking, layups. That's a problem. And we're, we're seeing that he does it's, not it's, Yeah, I mean, that's, he, it doesn't does, sound like a huge difference, but it's a big enough difference that it can make a 5%, difference. 5% is a big difference. And you, we're seeing it on the court. He does, he does not have the ability to either finish through contact the way we've seen in the past or finesse his way, explode his way, whatever. And when his outside shot becomes suspect, obviously LeBron is – a, you know, he is such a great player that he can find other ways, you know, to affect the game for the Lakers. And, you know, he's such an incredible distributor and quarterback. He, right. He's always going to have an impact. Right. But this matters, particularly when, you know, we've heard about this all year. You talk about playoff LeBron. That's part of playoff LeBron. Yeah, they need him and to score. They, they, they need him to be able to finish. And they need him to be able to do it in all facets. And this is something mm -hmm. that, you know, it's, you know, it's concerned me for a while. Absolutely. It's really starting to concern me now. And I, I think it's, it's because, and I think it's fair because again, projecting forward to, can they beat the Clippers? Can they beat the, you know, the, the Bucks, presumably, whoever it might be, who, by the way, the Rockets, kind of set, the Rockets whoever it is. And the Bucks, you know, the Bucks certainly set things right against Orlando in game two. Uh, I, ex I expect that to be over in five. Um, the Lakers are built on AD being great. And so I think if you're, if you're concerned, it's like, okay, now you got to do it two games in a row, three games in a row. You know, AD has got to be great five out of every six games. He's got to be AD LeBron, like playoff LeBron. Like you, it's like, that's the, that's the given. And the deeper they get into playoffs. So little things like LeBron's, you know, if he's 
not if he's five percent worse finishing around the basket and can't find five percent somewhere else to compensate for it, that means playoff LeBron that everybody's counting on isn't going to be quite as good. He still could be really effing great, but you know, not at that ceiling that they need to be. So um, it is something to think about, and it is something to to consider going forward. But you know, it, it was a weird night too. I thought you know before we kind of get done, obviously KCP. You know, when you get a guard who gets 16 points, KCP was second leading scorer on the team um, in game two. You know, we talked about how Green, KCP, uh, Caruso, uh, and then you threw in Kuzma in, in game one. Between all of them, they, were, they shot about 20%. Like, you just can't have that many shots with that little output. So they got it from KCP tonight. They got 10 from JaVale. Uh, a very efficient five of six. Uh, JaVale had a nice game tonight. Right, JaVale they, had a really nice game. You know, Dwight uh, was four or five from the floor. So you're getting, you know, what is that? That's uh, 19 points from two guys on 11 shots. Like that's really helpful. They got those dunks inside. They got all that stuff. Um, and, you know, because Davis was so good and because they were so good defensively, they didn't need a whole lot else. I'm still – waiting to see what this bench rotation is going to look like. I thought Kuzma had some good energy. Wasn't a game where he needed to do anything. I thought Markeith Morris, again, another night where his stat line won't jump out of you, but I thought he did some good things. Yeah. I thought, yeah. I thought Mark, I thought he was, I, I agree. He was good. Let's, before we go though, let's talk about Danny Green because one of four from three point range, one of six uh, from the floor, three points, uh, you mentioned the four steals earlier. He had a couple, you know, what I thought were, were good defensive uh, moments, even when Lillard might have scored where you make a guy work. But he is now, I'm looking at it, three of 12 from three-point range in the series. He is shooting, well, he was one of six in game one. or one. Of, I'm sorry, yes. four of 12. In, no, I was right. Yeah, one of six in game one. No, four of 12 in game one, one of six tonight. So that's five of 18 overall. And I got to be honest, there are times when he looks like he has aged 30 years, you know, during the pandemic. Um, Haven't we all? Well, yeah, except I'm not playing. I'm not starting at, you know, the two <laughs> for the Lakers. I'm just no, saying, I mean, like, this is one I of those, know, you know, I, athletes I, I, that I get, just I like us. I get it. You know, I, I truly get it, you know, that, that, you know, how he might not be feeling it, but, at the same time, he's playing basketball for the Lakers. I'm not, so it's okay. Um, what do you, what do you do? Uh, he, we got, we got a lot of, uh, a lot of interest from from uh, Michael Ross. Mike Ross, our our friend, our uh, you know, our owner of Delicious Pizza, sponsor of the podcast, twenty percent off. By the way, two locations: West Adams and Hollywood. Uh, tell him Cam Brothers sent you. Uh, online or as you call in your order, get 20% off your food. Great food, great local business. You got to go support them. And but, he cares about the Lakers. Oh, deeply. deeply. He's texting deeply. us during the game, Andy. Yes. He, he's yes. tweeting us and texting us. Like, I mean, picture, he, picture if Flea owned a place to get really good pizza. Right, that's, that's Michael Ross. Right, that's what we're talking about. Right, down, right so, down to the music background. It's true. Um, so, you know, there, but there are a lot of people out there like, that you watch Danny Green play. At what point does the fact that he is just a thousand times more reliable on the defensive side of the ball 
than Dion Waiters, who you know could soak up some of those minutes. J.R. Smith, who could soak up some of those minutes, whatever it might be. J.R. ain't getting them based on what he did tonight. No. How, how, how bad does Danny Green have to be before you make a switch like that? I think, I think he has to be pretty bad. I think, I think he, like I, awful, right? Well, I think if he starts becoming completely ineffective defensively, like if he starts seeing those misses affect him in a way where he can't make an impact on the other side – then I guess at that point he's unplayable. Right. But as long, as long as he is still capable of doing things defensively, you know, I think the experience that he has, you know, the, the, the gravitas that, you know, frankly, he's earned over the course of his career, but also the lack of options behind him. You might, yeah. see, his min- you might see his minutes get reduced. And I, I, I mean, I suppose – Caruso could suck up some of them, but frankly, Caruso's not making any shots either. No, someone's going to make – one of those two guys needs to make shots. Right. Um, Again, I'll say this. J.R. Smith did not play his way into threatening Danny Green's minutes. Um, You know, Dion played fewer than J.R., and it was interesting that Dion came came into the game after J.R. um, for whatever that is worth, and so far I – I don't think Quinn Cook is an option unless unless they no, not just a, not, not as a starter. Way. I mean, maybe you would bump Caruso. No, but like in terms, of you got to move, start shuffling right. people around. You can find ways to put them on the court, but it's not the same deal. It's not the same deal, and and I I think they would have to decide that shooting was such a big deal, and that they were confident they could sacrifice some defense because I mean Cook will put in the effort. I mean that's not the issue, but he's a pretty bad defender, and. That, that's just the reality of it. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe you, you configure the rotation a little bit where essentially Kuzma is really serving as a two. And maybe that, that's yeah, I just, a way to work you around start to have to You start to do a lot. There's a lot. Although you he's have to not do. making a lot of shots either. So no, there's, a lot, there's just a lot of stuff that you have to do I, when so you start messing with the rotation. To, to, answer, your, found a way. to answer your question, I think Danny Green's going to be keeping the majority of his minutes because just, there aren't really other options, and and the cohesion, and, and you know, yeah. just you just the, the, you don't when the defense is that good, you don't just start taking guys out for Dion Waiters. And like, I mean, like it was funny, like Mark Jackson on the on the ESPN broadcast said, Mark Jackson is now feuding with George Carl, uh, which was kind of awesome. Said <laughs> so, and you know, and we'll get we'll get out of here. But like, he's like, you know, the thing about Dion Waiters is like he could come in and miss his, you know. Five shots in a row, and he's still going to think he's the best player on the floor. And I and I actually tweeted this out. I'm like, that's a reason for Terry Stotts to want to play him, not playing Vogel. It's <laughs> a good line. You know, it's like you know th- that that's why you don't want Dion Waiters on the floor. And like the the allure. I mean, I get it. He's a shot. He's a guy who can create his own shot in the same way that Jr. is in theory a guy who can create his own shot. But you don't want that necessarily if it's going to mean your already goofy offense is going to be really screwy because now guys are essentially just going out and playing one-on-one very inefficiently. And four out of every five games, Dion or JR, that's what it's going to be. The fifth one is the one you catch fire and you're like, Dion won that game for him. That's not the direction I'm going to go if if I'm the Lakers. I mean, I would would turn to Waiters before I would turn to JR just because I think Dion can do – if nothing else, I think he can do more things to find guys other shots. He's also, I think, better getting to the rim, things like that. 
But I think ultimately what's going to keep Danny Green, I think his minutes relatively consistent is even if he's not making shots, you can trust him on the floor to do the things he's supposed to be doing. He's going to play smart. He's not going to play out of pocket, you know, and that matters. In, Predictability in, in mis- is so is so valuable mis- to coaches. Mistakes, you know, I mean, part of the reason Caruso stays on the floor, even though, he, you know, that guy hasn't made a shot in a while, is he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Caruso does not make a lot of mistakes on the floor. Nope. Uh, and right. that helps. All right, so 111-88, the final score of the Lakers. All is right in the world again, Andy. The Lakers are tied up in the series. Uh, We will be back um, in one form or another. We'll be back after game three either with another podcast or, you know, put out something for Monday morning in our normal slot. You know, obviously the production of the podcast is a little bit different in the playoffs because, you know, you're responding to things a little differently than you do. But uh, plenty of content still coming out. Uh, We'll try to do the live show again, uh, perhaps after Saturday's game as well. Work out the kinks there. Delicious pizza. Two locations, West Adams and uh, Hollywood. Thanks again to Delicious Vinyl for their help with the music. And we will see everybody after game three, right, Andy? We're going to go some form. All right, after game three.